Hello and welcome to BakaCast for, <laughs> I, oh man, what week is Tenth. this, the 11th? 10th. 10th? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. I thought Baker Fox, Beta Fokker was behind. I, I'll just go with 10th, because I don't know anymore. 10th week of the, of the we're, summer we're, we're, 2017 anime season. It, it, it's whatever I, week it is currently at September 7th. Okay. Maybe it's, we should just go by <laughs> real dates instead of week of the the. Uh... Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah. It's, so th- it's whichever week on it's whichever week isn't the one I say it is. And What's great is that then you can it's... in editing you can go through and replace whatever week we say with the actual week it is. See, the only problem with that is then people will know exactly by how much I procrastinated with getting these edited. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, and before if they there was a little bit of vagary. If, if they can't figure out by the show count, never mind. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, so... I mean, uh, the 13th week I, and we're putting up the 7th week worth of shows? Yeah, sure, I am, fine. I am ostensibly your host, Dustin, and with me today is Ben. <clears throat> Yo. Larry. How? Me? Aaron. And Luke. It's me. Hi, it's our Luke. Uh... And as always, you can find show notes for this episode at www.projecttarahi.net or www.audioentropy.com. Luke is here once again to talk about a not-so-great anime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In your this opinion. One... <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait till Aaron oh. makes a passion defense for Brave Witches. Oh, is this where, we're, is this, where this is going? No, no, I've never seen it. I don't even okay. know what it is. Oh, wait, that's a sequel to Strike Witches, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, never seen yeah. it. Don't care. Strike Witches, famously the anime about girls who are jet planes who do not wear pants. <laughs> what? What? How is that not the best concept? Um, Because they draw the girls as very young looking is the thing. Uh, exceptionally so, young. So here's the thing. Wait, like you got to know and that the, I... the initial pitch was with them wearing pants and full clothes and whatnot. Right. And then the editor was... <laughs> yeah, of course. And then the editor was just like, what if we remove their pants? Genius. Let me take that pants slider and crank it all the way to zero. So what I have not told Luke yet until just now is that when I was... <laughs> Finishing up all my anime. I'm just just ignore the dogs. Just let it. Just let it. Just just it's fine. What I have not told him is that when I was thinking about you know getting done with all my anime, finally finished up, and I had Brave Witches still left. And I was looking at that Crunchyroll link, and I was thinking to myself, Dustin, your birthday was yesterday. Uh huh. Yeah. And Luke has taken three weeks to get you some audio. Sure. So maybe just this once, you don't watch the anime that you're going to. (laughs) You just you decided to treat yourself by not uh, inflicting self harm. That's fair. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Now wait a minute, Luke. Your line is a two brute. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Luke, what did you think about Brave Witches? Uh, Uh, it's so. Like I said, they they just draw the girls as very young is the thing, and then they don't put the pants on, and they have lots of shots of their butts, and it's bad. Um, the actual plot of it is like fine. It's every third anime, 
It's like, okay, let's see, Dustin, let's play a game and see how many guesses it takes you to figure out the plot of this anime, given that it is one of the most common tropes. Go. Okay. All right. So there's a group of girls who are new recruits to Mm -hmm. the military. Okay. And they're a bunch of misfits who don't initially like each other Mm -hmm. or get along well at all. But then they learn how to be a team through the power of friendship. No, in order you, to defeat Nazis, no, I guess. No, that might be where it goes eventually. But now you're wrong. You were right up until okay. there's a group of new young, you know, whatever's <laughs> new while okay. young girls. But, but as soon as you said they're all misfits <laughs> and they're have to learn to get along, that's where you went off the rails. So, oh, okay. So try and readjust your. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> We're playing Battleship, and you got close, but you did not sink my Battleship. Okay, all Like right, a Strike so... Witch might. <laughs> Alright, so I, I stumbled at the Misfits part. Okay, so they're all various specific fetish tropes of what women are. Uh, let's say you you stumbled at the group of Misfits part. Okay, so... They, they're all separate. They're just individuals that just happen let's, to be. Let's in say the there's. Same let's say there's only the place. one. Oh wait, really? I mean, it's a it's a class of them, but it really only focuses on one girl, kind of two, but mainly one. Oh okay, all right. When I when I was titled Brave Witches, I thought this was gonna be like an ensemble. Cast. I am assuming they will eventually introduce an ensemble cast, but I only watched one episode. Okay, so this. So this main character, she's not really good at anything. Uh-huh. Uh, she's kind of a ditz, but she's moe, which means uh-huh, uh-huh. she's cute, and, and that makes you want to bang her mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. she's very innocent. Uh, but despite being bad, she's actually secretly very good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out she's she's the person they need to win the war. Hey, you got it! Okay. <laughs> Got there it we three. Go. I, I need I need to I just need to do adjust my radar from ensemble cast right. to yeah. single person. Well, see, she's not very good at the magic that you need to operate the mecha plane wi- feet that you wear as a strike witch. But Dustin, okay. she's just got so much pluck. She's just the pluckiest okay, right. girl. Yeah, and that pluck's gonna win the war. Except the other part, you you maybe you know you didn't really commit to this, but. It's World War II era, but they're Japan, and maybe they don't want to uh, really get into fighting, you know, alongside <laughs> yeah. the Nazis. So they yeah. just fight um, Eldritch Horrors. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's World War II, except all the things that made our role in World War II problematic are not there anymore. Right, right. It's World War II, except the enemy that Japan is fighting is uh, complex geometric monster aliens instead of, you know people trying to stop genocide uh but yeah so yeah she's just out there trying to pluck it up and uh but she's just bad at the plane flying so then they have a test and the girl who's actually good at things is you know is wants to volunteer to go to the european theater to fight the monsters but then this plucky bad girl also agrees to try and do it so they have a race and then the, the the girl who's actually good at things is gonna win, but then a catastrophe strikes, and the plucky girl uses all of her pluck to save her, and that's the real heart of how you be good at things, is 
just wait until something fucks up and then save somebody, and then no one cares that you're bad at your job. You, you mean plucks up, and yeah, we got. Oh you. yes, of course, plucks up. That's that's what I said. Check the tape. Yeah, see, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. see that's just that joke is just now making me think of the the scene in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure: Phantom Blood, <laughs> where it they change the luck blade to the pluck blade. Oh yeah, exactly. Yes. But, but now we're changing the pluck blade to the fuck blade. <laughs> yeah, listen. This this girl, this this moe jet girl has all the pluck and luck of a Jo Jo Is it Joseph Joestar is the first one? No. Jonathan Joestar. Jonathan Joestar. Then Joseph. Joseph. Then yeah. Joseph the Then Joseph. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Jo 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 but, uh, it, like, her sister is, I assume, the main character from the original Strike Witches, because everyone talks about what a hero she is, and she just wants to live up to her big sister, but she don't got the magic like her sister did. Uh, she, like, there's a recurring thing where she's trying to use her magic to, like, skip herself across a lake like a rock, but she can only get, like, two skips across instead of making it the whole way to the other shore. Uh, but then okay, but she, but has she tried like lubricate lubricating her butt cheeks? Has she tried that? Though? Well, I guess it's more running across the water, but it's in like two okay. or three steps, so it's it's yeah. All right. But hey, guess what? She finally does it when she has to save the snotty, uh, competent girl's life. Okay. It's this listen. is sounding very much like the very beginning of Little Witch Academia, but bad. Or the very beginning of uh, My Hero Academia, but bad. It's this. Yeah. It's just that template. Yeah. Uh, but bad, uh, and with way more prepubescent butts than anyone should want. Yeah. Uh, her and her big oh, sister, because her big sister comes home from war, uh, not traumatized in the slightest. And, you know, they share a bath I mean, no one together. is ever traumatized by wars in these shows. No, no, God, no. Why would they be? There, there is no PTSD. No. It doesn't exist. Uh, but they share a bath together, and uh, her big sister has to lift her boobs up to show off the gnarly scar she's got. And it's just, you know, it's it's that. It's that. Okay. It's just... If, if you want to watch My Hero Academia, but you really just relate with Minetta the most, then maybe this is the show for you. <laughs> also, throw yourself in the trash and then set the trash on fire. Oh, absolutely! Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. You're welcome. Next week, uh-huh. we'll, be re- we'll be talking about Kimono Friends. Oh, hell yes! Oh, <laughs> Ashley have- loves that show. She adores it. No, I actually will be watching an episode of Kimono Friends. I've kind of been meaning to, and this is my excuse to getting around. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, my friend Ashley loves that show, and she keeps converting other friends of ours into fans of it. Yeah, I was, I was, I have been converted by Fathomless Blue, uh, as Ben was before me. Yeah. All right, well, I guess I'll go watch that, and... Yeah. Back into the anime minds for me, friendos. Good luck. Go, goodbye. Uh, Alright, so... Boy, did you set him up. <laughs> I sure did. Uh, let's you, talk you about took... Princess... <laughs> go we'll Talk about Princess Principal. Talk about setups. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, so uh, speaking oh. of a... Di- so let's go to a different 
anime that has an all-female female cast that does not make me feel bad about my life. Uh, Princess Principal, episode 9. <laughs> I love this episode. This is very good. It... <laughs> it was almost entirely a filler episode, but it was a very funny filler episode. Um, I find Beatrice very relatable. In this episode, yeah. trying to deal with Chisei as a roommate and being like, what are all these disgusting foods you keep bringing in? <laughs> and apparently Chisei's favorite things about Japanese cuisine are all the things that they ferment. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man. <laughs> so, like, uh... I, I get cultural differences and all that, but even, yeah. even in, like, some other, like, uh, European or American cuisines, fermented stuff just is always kind of a no-go for me <laughs> well it, you know any any show that starts out dear big sister yeah you remember moyashiman yes <laughs> yes i do i remember when they talked about the was it the the fermented bird fetus i believe <laughs> something like that yeah yeah okay yeah i remember that, that i'm was thinking a, wow that was a thing that's gross <laughs> that and that uh is that and like the other um there's like a i think it might be swedish it's like a fermented fish dish that is like it's so pungent that you have to like open it beneath like inside water so the stench doesn't knock you out yeah that's called uh surströming surströming yeah that thing that less a food more a biological weapon Anyway, Man, th this, this episode, episode was very good. Yeah, the episode was real good. It was real good. Everything was good. Everything. Yeah. I, I like how they've gotten to a point where when or whenever Dorothy has to get her tits out, uh, they don't even bother showing what she's doing. They just assume that by now we know that what she's doing and that she will inevitably succeed. Well, <laughs> like, there is no tension. It's just like, all right, time for Dorothy. Well, and Chisei's sitting there, and it's called a woman's weapon, which I have yeah. to acquire. Yeah, yeah, poor Chisei. It's, like, it's know, fine, Chisei. You're like 14. You can wait. Well, that's, uh, that's and you're the, and you're not like and you're not like stereotypical anim, anime 14. You're actually drawn to look like a 14 year old. You know that helps. Just love, I love, I love Chisei so much, and I love that Japan yes. makes fun of themselves through Chisei. I I like Chisei, uh, being very proud of herself for being able to write our alphabet, but still not quite understanding our grammar. <laughs> Be fine, or art which style, is, or music. Which, which for me is like the opposite of how I felt when uh learning japanese and that i was very good at picking up the grammar not so great at learning all, how to draw all the things <laughs> you know if we were all perfect this world would be no fun <laughs> just saying also the the also the cricket part <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<clears throat> yeah, I got the sense that she doesn't really understand, like, the nature of the game there. Oh, it's a ball, and you have a sword-shaped object. Clearly, you need oh, to hit the ball with the sword-shaped object. What, what's there I, to understand? I just remembered just the scene where Chise described Ange, and she says, This is Ange. She talks like a bumpkin, but this is only an act. This woman tells lies constantly. Yes. Which is maybe the for most perfect description of Ange that has ever existed and ever will exist. This was an exceptionally creative episode. Especially, like... when, the pri- especially when the princess walked in and says, okay, now this is how you do a duel. Uh, I also especially like, because in, in a lot of really lazy comedies, like, they'll have the straight man character and they will be very normal and then they'll have like the goofy goofball where all the comedy will come from and i'm actually going to reference something that aaron and i just played like a little bit ago we got through the entire main story of destiny 2 and destiny 2 very much has this where like two of the main leader characters are highly stoic and then they have just Nathan Fillion do all the jokey jokes and many of those jokes are good but also it ends up feeling kind of forced and artificial because none of these people really feel like human beings uh because they've kind of like because Destiny 2 like refuses to acknowledge or and Destiny in general refuses to acknowledge that you know People who are stoic can also make jokes. Um, and that is something that Princess Principal does very well, where there are very there are very clearly characters in the show that are meant to be more comedic than others, who have a greater sense of humor than others. Um, Dorothy being one of them. Uh, but at the same time, the more stoic characters like Chisei and like Ange still have plenty of moments where they are funny or they do funny things, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes very much intentionally. Uh, And that's good um, because that makes them feel more like human beings because, like, all of us have very different personalities, but, like, we still make jokes. It's that we're just... We just make our comedy in different ways because we have different personalities. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, yeah. With Chise, it's mostly unintentional, and that makes it even funnier. Yeah. With Ange, yeah, it's it, it's intentional. Yeah, yeah. It like that. This is certainly true. I like my. I like it because they they don't they don't just have like one clown there that's doing all all the humor. They have that humor come from all of their characters. And often, and it's and it's not also just from like the clown character like making fun of the stoic characters. It's just these characters being in different situations where their behavior in and of itself is funny well, or creates comedic situations. I think Beatrice Beatrice is a consistent straight man character, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But also, Beatrice is is often funny. And not because people are necessarily making fun of her, 
just because Beatrice's reactions to the things that are going on around her are often funny. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I am not a spy, and what is this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, the other thing we've learned is uh, when a uh, young lady undoes her bowstring and puts a uh, bullet in a duck. Oh, oh yeah, the, the dueling scene that was badass. Yep. Yeah, the duel well, was good. Well, well executed duel. It's like you know when his buddy walked up, handed him the gun, and gave him the nod, nod, wink, wink. I'm like, oh, this ought to be good. And of course, then they sat there and said, "But, but we didn't do anything to it." She's like, "Okay, fine. I don't need it anyway. Stand still, or don't stand still. I can hit you either way." Yeah. Are you gonna throw it at us? Kind of. Yeah. Watch this. You know, she she would be the the person that you know the commercial come on and say, "Hey, uh, hold my drink and watch this." But um, love that. What are you gonna do? Throw it at me? Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, uh, anyway, we got uh, two choices for album art this week, Dustin. And, okay. And since we're probably going to give this episode, okay, first, that second one is a solid contender. And since we're going to probably uh, give, uh, oh yeah, second one's definitely yeah. When the the celebratory, <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, this, this is what you do in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, that, that was, yeah. There, it's very amusingly it makes fun of uh, European ignorance of of Japan. Yeah, yeah, and also like the sort of the. The Oriental, the quote-unquote Orientalism that very much existed in that time and still kind of exists today, to be perfectly honest, um, where like uh, a lot of uh, East Asian, East Asian uh, culture is kind of blended together uh, and uh, pre- presented as like exotic mysticism. Um, Kind of like how American culture very frequently depicts uh, uh, Native American tribes, where they're where they're also lumped all together into this generic like exotic mix-up. Yeah, and it could be further from the truth. Yeah, there, there's actually <laughs> there's actually as much, if not more, diversity inside Japan than there is in the United States, and we're a country of immigrants. Uh, I mean, in terms of cultural diversity i'm not so sure cultural language (laughs) like japan is fairly homogenous when it comes to um the people living in it um i'm saying uh, this is this is less me talking about japan as a country and more me talking about like uh how it was very frequently a thing that people would lump uh, China, Japan, South Korea, Ooh, bad, like all bad, kind bad. of in, into the same like Asian box. And then uh, it doesn't work. No, no, no not at all. No, not at all. It's that's that's like you know, it's like saying yeah, you know, uh, uh, New Del- New Delhi Indians and Comanches and Cheyenne and Navajo. Yeah. And- Exactly. Like, yeah, they're all Indians. No, they're not all Indians. Sorry, <laughs> no. that doesn't work. Anyway, so I give this episode a five. It was very fun. I was going to give it a ten. I was going to give it a ten, but I'll settle for a five. <laughs> all right, let's talk about yeah, Fate Apocrypha. Guys. 
Episode 10, I guess. Well, we... I, let's see, we skipped episodes 8 and 9 last week, because uh, I had to oh, watch them. Oh, right, we did. <clears throat> so I guess we can talk about 8 through 10 as a... Yeah, as, as a big whole, which, like... It, which actually makes sense, because... It uh, kind of is, because it's one giant fight scene, basically. <laughs> well, or it's a whole bunch of fight scenes <laughs> mashed together yeah. in one episode. Or three episodes, like... Yeah, each each episode kind of focuses on a particular part of the battlefield. Episode eight um, largely deals with uh, like Atalanta and Chiron and Vlad um, and their fights, uh, and also like shows uh, a berserker of the Red showing up again. Yeah. Uh, Spartacus. Uh, and then episode nine largely focuses on... Uh, well, it, it has more... It kind of finishes off that stuff with Atlanta and Spartacus and Chiron. And then moves into... Transitions into the uh, fight scene between Estolfo and uh, Mordred. And also we get some Frankenstein backstory. You get the cool scene between Frankenstein and Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Shakespeare proves that he actually is kind of sort of useful. Right. He can't, <laughs> he can't do damage, but he can definitely... He can, he can do control. Yeah, and also, is it just me, or was it the implication that Shakespeare is who summoned the sword for Shiro to use? Uh, I think it wasn't summoning, he reinforced it, is what it was. Oh, okay, he had reinforcement magic. Okay, I got it. I thought he was literally summoning the sword. I don't think so, maybe. I don't know. It's um, unclear. Also, Assassin and her giant beam laser from her floating castle. I like this Assassin. She's <laughs> good. <laughs> I am Assassin. Let me assassinate you with a giant bright laser beam. Well, look... All that all you really need to be an assassin is to kill a person for money as a job. If that involves giant lasers, you don't necessarily need to be stealthy. <laughs> as long as you kill the guy, it doesn't matter what method you use. Exactly. We're down to dead is dead, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then episode much. ten teaches Mordred to double tap. Yeah, yeah, never yeah, look, just if you want to make sure someone's dead, make sure they're dead, especially when there's someone named Frankenstein whose whole thing is coming back from the dead. Uh, yeah, thankfully for Mordred, she's very powerful uh, and can withstand Mordred's self-sacrifice noble phantasm. You mean first uh, thing. You, Frankenstein? Frankenstein, yes. Sorry. Well, I think she had a little help from her uh, from her master. Yeah, she did. Yeah, he used a command but, seal to protect her. Yeah, but also Mordred in general is just very strong. Yes, yeah. sabers always have very high magic resistance. But yeah, so I there's not really a whole lot to analyze about these episodes because again, fight scenes. Uh, which, for the most part, are, like, pretty entertaining. Um, well, well, there was one ongoing thing uh, about how yeah. 
uh, how Sig, the uh, homunculus, he went. Oh, yeah, he I went, was gonna bring that up actually. He went. Yeah, he went and rescued all the other homunculi. Uh, yeah, before he went, before he joined the battle between uh, Mordred and Astolfo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of Sieg in episode ten, and I like his character concept, but his his character itself is still pretty dull to me. Um, to the <coughs> point where, like, even though he's technically more of a hero than Mordred is, I'm rooting for Mordred to beat him <laughs> because I just don't care about him nearly as much as I do about Mordred. Well, Mordred has the better voice actor. I mean, that is also true. Um, <laughs> oh, and also, 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 Mordred's motivation is just more interesting uh, than Sieg is just generic anime protagonist number seventy-eight. Uh, to the point where. Like a show that was trying to be smart would make a would actually make that part of the commentary on him being a homunculus, and uh, that because he's a homunculus, his wishes are very generic. Uh, but Fate Apocrypha is not a smart show, so I mean that's just what they think is a good motivation. Well, it was interesting. Well, it was interesting when he was rescuing the homunculi, but then when he uh, like, you know, was was like. You know, ready to sacrifice himself to save Astolfo against Astolfo's yeah. wishes. Come on, I'm like, yeah. Oh, come on. It's like I'm. I'm really sick of the fate stay the fate universe introducing generic male leads who are the dumbest boys in the world. Can we just have one male lead who is not a complete moron? Uh, and we had Mikia. <clears throat> oh yeah, we did have. We did have. We did have uh, uh, what's his name, not uh, Mickey Katsuki, the, the Saber's Master from Zero. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, that Kiritsugu. was yes, that was Kiritsugu. Kiritsugu, yeah, okay. I knew it started with a K because there's Kirie and then him, but I couldn't remember the precise syllables there. Um, Kiritsugu was fairly good. Um, but again, Fate Zero, I feel, has a lot of exceptions to the Fate Universe rules. Uh, yes, because it was written by Gen Arbucci. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I have issues with Gen Urobuchi, but, you know, at least uh, at least Fate Zero was a lot better than Fate storylines tend to be. Uh, but yeah, enough about that. Um... I mostly enjoyed these episodes. Um, I think, I think Frankenstein's uh, backstory, while I think conceptually good, was also a a little overwrought, um, which could have worked if the show had made me care more about her relationship with her current master. Um, but they kind of never did, did anything with that beyond, oh, this master is so nice to me when my previous master was so mean. Uh, so there wasn't really any actual work done to make me care about 
their particular relationship <laughs> outside of me just thinking Frankenstein is kind of cool. Gotta admit, though, Frankenstein was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, and uh, and her, like, uh, what was it called, branching tree or something like that? Blasting blasted Bla- tree. Blasting tree, yeah. That was a really cool noble phantasm. Uh, I <laughs> really love the effects on that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's highly berserker, and I love the sound design on it as well when it actually goes off. Like, I'll, uh, I'll just nuke good. you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree that Frankenstein is very cool. Uh, so it's a shame that she died and not Sieg, who is boring. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I will give these episodes fours. Yep, same here. Yeah, I think four is about right for all of them. Oh, eight had Mordred driving up in the car. Oh, right, eight did have Mordred driving a car. That was funny. That was good. Sort of in contrast to uh, her her, uh, mother, uh, Arthur who also drove cars but was way better at driving cars. So, I like that callback. That was good. Actually, that makes me curious. I wonder what their writing skill differences is. Yeah, yeah. uh, Does Mordred have official stats? Um, maybe. Let me check. Yeah, I'm I'm going to the Type Moon wiki as we speak, actually. As am I. Servant stats show. God damn it, Type Moon Wiki. All right, let's see. Yeah, she has um, stats. Riding is listed as B. All right. So what about Arthur? Arthur is listed at. Uh, where the hell is it? B as well. God. Oh, so they're both B. Okay. I figured like other. I figured like Artorio would have been like A or B plus. Oh wait, wait, wait. Just, okay. Just under, to make that under, joke really under work. Under Kritigo, it's A. Oh, okay. All right. Why is it different? <laughs> um, their stats differ depending on the master that summoned, the, or rather, the master oh, right. that they're and, contracted to. Good point. And Kritigo was a way better mage than Shiro was at the time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. I, that makes sense, I say, about the Fate universe. <laughs> yeah, it makes as much sense as it's going to. <laughs> also, Type Moon Wiki, there are way too many listings for King Arthur. <laughs> Don't worry about it. This is nuts. Why are there so many King Arthurs? Uh, let's move on to My Hero Academy, episode 34. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, how do you, uh, keep, uh, Deku and, uh, his, uh, blonde-haired friend happy team them up together against All Might? <laughs> yep, it, yeah, they're introducing the, they're introducing the, uh, the, uh, final exams for the term. Yeah, I, I like this episode a lot, uh, partially because it let some of the characters I like do some things. Um, 
for uh, specifically um, sort of referring to uh, 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 Yao Rozu. Oh my God, her last name is so hard. Um, hey. Who actually got to do something? You can call her. In you can what, call her Momo if you want. Yeah, I I really liked Momo's role in this episode. Probably because it's just been so long since she's actually gotten to do anything worthwhile in this show. <laughs> and and so true. having her not only be top of the class for the written exam, but also, like, be super excited to, like, tutor tutor her friends and her being, like, a super good teacher, actually. And having her friends show up to her house and being like, oh my god, she's extremely rich. Uh, was a very good sequence of events, and it made me happy that she actually got to, like, do something. Yeah, that's quite the pad she had, that's uh, no doubt about that. Uh, oh yeah, and, and evidently next episode it's going to be all about her, uh, her exam. <clears throat> yeah, I also like uh, the team-ups they're doing. Uh, Momo with uh, Todoroki... Uh, I like both of those characters a lot. Uh, also, pairing up um, like one of my favorite characters with like ba- one, basically one of the main protagonists means that she actually, for once, won't get the shaft when it comes to battle scenes, um, which is nice. Knocked out uh, at the beginning of the fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like what? Well, like what happened last time? <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well, uh, to her getting a little bit more of a spotlight than she has had. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm not sure what else to say about this episode other than, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I like the premise they're going with a lot. Um, and I'm very excited to see what the battles are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I give this episode a five. Okay. Uh, I give it a five as well, uh, though it did have the cold open, and the cold open was bad. Uh, so I was tempted to give it a four just for that, but I'm not going to be quite so petty. Oh, <clears throat> oh right, yeah, that had had uh, yeah Midnight and Mountain yeah. Mount Lady on the stupid talk show. Okay. Yeah, the yeah the cold open of like, should heroes be sexy? And then it cuts to Mineta watching and going, "This is the best episode of television ever." And I'm like, please stop. Yeah, just fall on your sword, film at eleven. Uh, I also oh also before I before we go, I do want to mention that uh, I really like the segment with uh, the dude from Class B, um, Manoma. Yeah. Uh, going all like, huh, it's time It's time that Class B got payback on Class A. And then, like, the girl who's basically, like, the class president of B, the, the class mom, uh, Itsuka Kendo, shows up and is like, dude, chill. Come on. Stop it. And, when- <laughs> and he's like, I'll get you! And then she just karate chops him on the back of the neck. And yeah. <laughs> she lowered the boom. Yeah, so I, I just I just like how um, they just kind of, like, cut the legs out from what would otherwise... Be, they kind of, like, set up the generic, like, class rivalry, 
and then just cut the legs out right from under that trope and say like no we're not gonna do that um but yeah anyway uh let's go ahead and talk about made in abyss episode nine i'm getting very bored of this show i thought it was a good episode not a great episode yeah um i think go ahead larry well the the hypnotic scene where she was fighting being hypnotized and bouncing back and forth and realizing that uh you know rig was out of commission for a while and she still managed to i don't know how far she dragged him but she dragged him a pretty decent way so i mean she had some character development um but yeah oh some of the flashbacks a little but Go ahead. I feel like she didn't have character development in any of the aspects I was hoping she'd have character development in. Because, like, for the past few episodes, Made in Abyss has, and I'm going to exaggerate a little here, but it's kind of been, Rico does the dumbest thing possible and gets into trouble, and then Reg saves her. Uh, Which is very boring to me. Um, And kind of... I was kind of hoping that Rico, like, I wasn't Rico expecting to be, I wasn't expecting Rico to be, like, hyper-competent, because that would be ridiculous, but I was expecting her, like, as someone who is super enthusiastic about being an explorer, like, sort of be a little more studied about this sort of thing, and, like, be shown to be like, okay, yeah, she's headstrong, but, like, she at least knows what she's doing. Um, but frequently, uh, the the main conflict in the show has been set up entirely because Riku does Rico does something dumb or foolhardy or out of impatience and it's getting a little tiring to me um and this and this episode was kind of no different in that if Rico had just like stood still None of this would have happened. <laughs> well, you keep forgetting how small children can be because she is a small child. And small child have a tendency to patience. No, there is no such thing as patience. There's yeah, sleep. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's I, 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 I definitely understand that. Um, I, and, like, the, I, I think the main issue with that is that you know, she is a small child, but also the show is very much still putting her in the role of, uh, like, shonen adventure hero. And it's... Like, it, it, it's setting... It, it's going through all the same motions as what it would do with a normal protagonist who was like teenager or older um but she's younger it's it's act it's still like do going through all the same tropes but she's still behaving like an idiot uh she's like uh, she's okay she's like 12 yeah she's uh, she's actually okay if you're going to compare it to shonen adventure tropes she's basically about the same age as naruto was at the start of his series Um, yeah i mean like i also kind of find naruto insufferable but for at least different reasons (laughs) 
Right. Like, it, every, every, every conflict in Naruto wasn't just about Naruto doing something dumb. Um, and, like, even, even, and, like, as, as much crap as Naruto deserves to get about its treatment of female characters frequently, like, even in Naruto, a lot of the conflicts didn't come from Sakura getting into trouble. Um... Yeah, I, I just find, uh, I just find that a lot of the magic has rubbed off of Maiden Abyss, and it's just getting to be very formulaic and not particularly interesting to me, um, especially since it keeps relying on this trope of like Rico can barely survive, and Reg has to constantly be on the on alert to save her. Well. Well, the nice thing about this episode was how, for most of the episode, Reg was out of commission and Rico had to get by on her own. Yeah. Which she kind of <clears throat> barely did. I... Um, and a lot of, and again, like a lot of the, a lot of the problems she got into were entirely of her own making. I wanna, I, I think I almost want to uh, watch this episode because I don't remember anything like that in the manga uh just to give you sort of an overview of what happens like she kind of stumbles into the lair of a giant monster and then reg has to use his laser beam to cut its head off but oh no the the moss flying monster from the first episode has it has is roaming around here and chases them into a cavern well reg goes unconscious Afterwards, because he used his thing, well, uh, and then instead of staying put, as Reg specifically asked her to do, Rico is hungry, so she drags Reg along to go looking for food, uh, and then like falls into a very obvious trap set by a like giant monster that attempts to like slowly digest her, and then she like cuts her way out of its stomach. But then, because she's covered in, like, the scent of a food that, like, these sort of weird cat bunny creatures, like, the cat bunny creatures try, like, start gnawing on her, and she has to run away from them. Does that sound familiar, Aaron? Not really. Give me a sec. Was this, to... was this anime original? <laughs> Give me a sec to, uh, to check. Yeah, the, so uh... at this, at this point in the series, they're on... Uh... They're on layer three. Alright, let me get to a relatively safe place here. Well, see, the thing is, is what caused it all is when he blasted the monster, the blast went through the side of the wall and hit the other monster that was flying around, so, you know, it's it's been hit, and it's like, hey, something shot at me, I'm going to go figure out what it is and eat it. Well, no, the blast attracted its attention. The thing about that, the monster that was hit... Go back back and watch that again, because she looks at it and says, Oh my god, Rake's blast hit it, that's why it's here. Yeah, that was the one, that was the same monster that Rake hit in episode one. The the Crimson Splitjaw that was chasing her around in episode one that Rake Rake drove off with his uh, laser. Okay. What uh? What level are they on? They're on level. They're on layer three. Yeah, they had just like gone down into layer three. 
not to be confused with Livoli, which was another show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm I'm gonna give this episode a two. I think I'm gonna give it a four. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a three. There were some things I the the hypnotic sequence. I mean, glad she fought her way through it, but uh, she should. She was, of course. Then again, yeah, I can understand. But I, I give it a three. It was watchable. I was kind of hoping did, for a little more to happen. Did they get to uh, where they land in the giant things full of water? No, that's the next episode. They're they're to the goblets of water. Yeah, they uh, yeah they, they arrive at the uh, entrance to level four in the uh, at the end of the episode. But yeah, anyway, as Aaron researches, we can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, unless they did something out of order that's not in the manga. Oh, okay. Huh. Well then. So uh-huh. so what so what happens in the manga between the time they leave uh they leave Ozen and company and uh, hit the goblets? Uh, they do again uh fight the uh the monster that he hit before. But it goes to um, him starting to charge up his beam thing. Rico throws something into the air that's an artifact, so it kind of stares at that for a second. And then um, Reg does his uh, like boost punch thing with his arms and, uh, and stomps it and throws it uh, way back into the pit where oh, other okay. things go and eat it. Huh. And then so this was anime they, uh, original then. Hmm. They're hiding out in the holes with the weird rabbit things, and they're basically using them for food and their holes for shelter. Okay. Well, part of that was there, but yeah, it looks like we added some anime original. Uh, well, that was very bad content then. <laughs> very bad original content. So that's where they are at episode, what, nine? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're not going to get to where I thought they would. Remember, oh, last episode's an it. hour long. Last episode's an hour long. No, they're not going to get close to it, because they haven't even introduced Nanami yet. That's, well, she's that's in the weird. credits. I wonder how much else was anime original. Cause they should have had plenty of time to get there. Who knows, man? Who knows? I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. I, I'm detecting right. just a tad bit of frustration in Aaron's voice. That's that's rather unfortunate. Let's talk about Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul episode twenty. <coughs> Phil characters for the lose. <coughs> <laughs> more more filler. No, yeah, well, yeah, no. Kind of like the 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 scene past the credits is the one that upset me the most. Oh yeah, that I mean. I am interested to see what they do with that, um, because yeah, the 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 scene at the end of the credits revealed that the one like asshole member of the knights, the blonde guy who's 
like who just wants to lay low and do what he's told and get drunk with the demons at the bar um just straight up shanks maguro <laughs> yeah uh which like that i actually found that to be an interesting plot twist and like yeah it's infuriating but it is it's at least an interesting twist there um was well, sort of in character for him uh, yeah, absolutely, because he's a freaking coward. Um, but, but man, like I, uh, it, this episode left me in that same. Uh, they they personally they had a plot thing going and they just blew it. Nina's 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 struggle in this episode just got made me even more infuriating the infuriated than I was before. Because she's like, well, you can't kill me. The, the prince loves me. And the, the, like, dra- and, like, the black knight says, like, girl, he ordered me to murder you. And she's like, what? That's impossible. I'm thinking, like, lady. Deal with it. Why do you think he would care? He has genocided so many people already, and he specifically told you that he no longer cares about you. And this constant thing of like, oh, how could this possibly happen to me? Yeah, whoa, is whoa, just whoa, so. Whoa, 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 whoa is me. Yeah, I've heard enough whoa, whoa is me for a while. <laughs> this is so. It's just so irritating, and it continues to be irritating. And like, the the one part of this scene I actually enjoyed was when Favro kicks into high gear because like they're about to kill Nina and he starts remembering Amira and like how, what happened to Amira and how she was like exploited. Um, and that just makes him like, <coughs> essentially like not go super Saiyan, but he, he starts kicking ass okay, super uh, Saiyan works to for save me. Nina. Yeah, he... Uh, and I, I like that. Um, that's tempered by the, Partly because I'm glad that the show actually remembers that Amira existed. Um, uh, my, my my only complaint is that uh, you know it associates Amira with Nina, which I feel is uh, a huge insult to Amira. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I the more the more they drag out the whole Nina Prince thing, the more the more irritating it it gets. Uh, I just really hope that they move on from it eventually and soon. Well, I think it's gonna be soon. I th- I think everything just got royally accelerated. Uh, to me, it felt it felt like they were starting to recover from that. <laughs> that like. At least I hope. I hope that by the end of this thing, uh, Nina has gotten over it. I mean, clearly she still hasn't, in this episode, she hasn't gotten over it. But I hope next episode she's gotten over it. Uh, Well, Muguro's death is going to... uh, Yeah, I can see tables getting turned in all sorts of directions. Yeah, but I did. What I did like about this episode was the uh, well. I mean, yeah, there was a, there was like a cool dragon fight, 
where like where it turns out the dragon the like dragon hunter they got was actually a dragon. And so like yeah. so they're you know, so like Nina has to fight another dragon and she loses. Uh but then the Azazel and Sophiel show up and they beat the dragon. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted to lead with what I didn't like first because honestly that fight scene was real good. And I liked most of the other stuff about this episode. Um including the twist at the end like it pains me in my soul yes. uh, for Jean to have another crappy thing happen to her because Jean has endured a lot of suffering in this show uh, which makes Nina's suffering again feel just really ridiculous in comparison because like yo girl you're crying because a Hitler dumped you like Jean has had actual shit happen in her life <laughs> uh yeah pretty much so uh, yeah, and now her yeah, and now her son just got stabbed. Yeah. So you know um, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, wasn't an effective stab as he did, or is something going to happen? But, yeah, that last shot of like yeah, his blood, uh, his blood trickling, trickling into that horn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as uh, it's, it's the ocarina. Oh, right. Um, as much as as much as I, as a person, do not want uh, Magro to die because he's sweet and precious, and I don't want John to be sad. If they do reveal next episode, like, oh, it turns out he's just kind of he's he's just out of commission. He just lost a lot of blood. That feel like a major cop out. So, just from a storytelling perspective, I kind of hope he actually is dead. And that, like, they stick to that uh, cliffhanger. Well, yeah. Well, let's see. The next the 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 title of the next episode is Vengeance. So it seems yeah. to be where they're going. I mean, you think, but also you could take vengeance on, say, your child being nearly killed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I do think that he actually is dead. Yeah. I suppose we'll see. There is also one interesting, uh, interesting wrinkle, and in that when the uh, the uh, the leader of the Onyx Knights reports back to the king, he set he lies and says that he had that he had finished off Nina. Yeah, <clears throat> I, yeah, that was weird. Well, mm. although although the the thing is, the king had actually left. The king said he was the king was about to leave town. Uh, to head to, to head to that other site. So, so we could turn on the ticking bomb. So presumably the Onyx Knights are going to try and actually get it done. Maybe. But yeah, I suspect that uh, I suspect that decision is going to bite the Onyx Knights in the ass. Which. Unfortunately, uh, I would not shed a tear if that happened. Yeah. Yeah. If those anyway, guys, if uh, those guys all ended up, you know, vaporized or zombieized or what aized. It's like, okay, you know, you get you sow what you reap. What you sow. Yeah. So. So my my wish for how the next episodes of Baja Soul go is. Uh, for the whole Starcross Lovers plotline to be dumped pretty much entirely, 
and for the show to mostly focus on Jean d'Arc going John Wick on people. Yeah, here's hoping. Anyway, I'm going to give this episode a four. Uh, I will also give it a four. Yeah, I can four it. All right. Let's move on to Shokoku no Altair, episode eight. Political intrigue. And that's kind of what Shokoku no Altair is about most of the time. Uh, though in this episode, it reveals that, uh, God, what is that guy with the blue robes? Is he a prince or a he's, king? He's, or... A, he's a doge. Uh, oh, right. Which is, which, okay, right. So the thing is that, okay, so Venedict... Be, having being modeled after medieval Venice is a republic. Uh, oh right. Um. So it's, you know, so it's basically run by, you know, so it's basically it's basically run by a, you know, a collection a coalition of merchants. Uh, i.e. the Merchant of Venice. Ta-da. Right. All right. Uh, right. So. Yeah, it's kind of revealed that uh, he doesn't really know much about what's going on in the world. Because when he's like, yeah, no, it's fine. We've got a trade re- agreement. And then uh, our main character brings up the fact that, yeah, so ma- the Magistros were just murdered. And he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, so the Empire is betraying us. <laughs> Well, they kind of knew going into this that there was going to be Why is something sh- called an empire is bad? Yeah. Well, no, no one, no, at no point in the history of the world has an empire ever been bad before. Yeah. I'll get it. The empires have always been good things. Uh, I'd really minute, love... What, what did you have to drink on your birthday and why aren't you sharing it with us? <laughs> uh, Nothing, actually. This is just sparkling water and pizza. I, Dustin, uh, we should have gone out to drink. We should have gone yeah, to a and, bar. And you should have videoed it and posted it so we could all watch. We should have okay. gone out to a bar and then had a bunch of Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a milk. Yeah. Well, bit of bit of a reality check. I'm almost certain there is a scene in an anime that is literally that. Okay, bit of a... Yeah, it happens in Black Lagoon. Yo. Okay, right, yeah. Yo, bit of a reality check here. Actually, historically, in many circumstances, empires have been good things. It's just that this particular empire is not a good thing. Uh, I'm gonna need to. See, well, maybe I'll have you cite your sources later. But okay, think uh, about think about what the what the empire is an alternative to. Okay, like Chinese Empire. The alternative was Warring States. Empire improvement. Okay, so see, in- improvement is different from a good thing. Yeah, I mean, where where empires where empires uh, start to get real bad is not necessarily when they unify their own nation, which I would argue isn't really the definition of an empire, but rather when they start to spread out to conquer other lands to oh, like, uh, assimilate into their own, like late Holy uh, which Roman is, Empire, which is the real issue with empires. And what all of all of the empires that have properly been empires eventually devolve into, which is destroying native populations to assimilate them into themselves. Uh, well, okay. Other other thing, the Roman Empire, not really, 
<laughs> now, the Roman Empire was a pretty good thing for a while. Yep. I mean, yeah, Roman Empire again, also until it was did not. that sort of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was a good thing until it's not. That it I doesn't mean, qualify, Ben. One of, one of the reasons why the... Well, there are many reasons why the Roman Empire fell apart, but one of the many reasons is because the Roman Empire did not actually treat the people they assimilated very well. Like, the Goths were a big reason of, like, why uh, the Roman Empire just destabilized near the end. Uh, But yeah. It gets back to, you know, you you sow what you reap, and when you treat people... (laughs) Yeah. yeah, then you get it back. Usually, double in kind in the back. Yeah, of the twist. my my argument would basically be is that the uh, the fate of all empires is to eventually destabilize because what makes an empire an empire is them overreaching and grabbing other civilizations to incorporate into themselves. But you know that and doing and doing so by force. Which always comes with consequences that destabilize them later down the line. Yeah, and uh, uh, and that is that is that is the eventual arc of the Baltrain Empire, which yeah. is which is going to become clear in uh, further further in this series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So bad guys lose at eleven. Honestly, I can't remember a whole lot of what happened in this episode. Well, okay, <laughs> this episode you hit pretty much the high points. <laughs> well, this, okay, the, the okay, what what mostly happened in this episode was that in uh, in Venedic, you know, like the early part of the episode was the, you know confrontation with between uh, uh, Mahmoud and uh, and uh, let's see, right, and his uh, what was his uh, what was his name? I forgot. His stoicness. Anyway, and his, uh, you know, his uh, Polnikian uh, uh, friend, oh, Kiros, that was his name. Kiros, uh, the the uh, confrontation between, uh, you know, Mahmoud and Kiros, and then the and the Doge. <clears throat> you know, when when Mahmoud asked him, like, why didn't you help Polnikia? Uh you know, the Doge was. You didn't really give him a straight answer. Nope. <clears throat> um, but, but, uh, what this, uh, but the, like, the, uh, late, the, most, the rest of the episode was basically about, uh, was about, uh, Mahmoud adding, uh, Abarika to his party. This kind of reminds me of, uh, the last solo king would be king anime that he wound around and started adding people to his uh, collective. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, and so at the end of the episode, so at the end of the episode, uh, Mahmoud and company leave, uh, leave Venedic. After an elaborate thing was set up to allow him to leave with nobody suspecting why he was leaving in the first place. Right, yeah, because yeah, because there was this whole thing where this whole thing where they uh, they sort of uh, they tricked uh, Abariga into making you know making an illegal investment deal that blew up and that blew up you know and then supposed you know basically putting on a show trial where they will where they would exile him 
So they basically have, you know, you know, a, you know, a Venedictian in exile as part of, uh, as part of Mahmoud's party where Abariga presumably can, uh, learn some cool, learn some useful stuff. Well, and he has a pretty good network of, uh, merchants that are feed information. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's cutting through the complex it's it's a relatively simple thing but they sure made it really complex this episode yeah but uh anyway but, pretty interesting but it, yeah i mean things like this can't be done simply just because they can't be done simply if they could be done simply then everybody would be doing it yeah uh, yeah I'll and give it a four yeah i give it a four as well since I was a little little distracted while I was watching this episode and can't remember much of it, uh, I don't feel it's fair for me to give it a score, so I'll refrain this time. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, Works for me. moving on to The Reflection, Episode 7, uh, where I guy uh, gets his ass beat, um, and uh, the kindly grandmother dies. Uh, and it's very sad. Yeah, with uh, yeah, with the uh, the her her daughter. <clears throat> yeah, with her her daughter. I guess I guess uh, the grandmother used her uh, used her power to I guess transport the daughter somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, because they were being slowly sunk into the uh, the concrete um, to kill them, and she got her daughter. Uh, the, the girl out uh, in the nick of time um, but at, at the cost of her own life and then I guy shows up um, and reflection uh, sorry not reflection wait what's his name Exxon. Is it reflection Exxon, Exxon. Exxon. I always screw that up Exxon uh, he kind of very rightly chews I guy out for being all flash no substance um and actually being almost more harmed than good in that fight uh which is then followed up by i guy being punished in a like uh very over the top fashion um where like a, the wraith sort of shows up to taunt him uh and then he goes back to his studio to find every single one of his friends are dead <laughs> Yeah, but then the but then it turns out they left something for him. Yeah, they left a new version of the suit. Yep. Uh that he can get into himself. It doesn't require a team. Um and I'm surprised by how stoked I am for this development of I guy's character where like he where like this is sort of his push to see superheroing not just as something to do like as something to do like instead of being a superstar just like a different way of being famous but rather as like a necessity that he has a responsibility to save people um so yeah i'm i'm glad to see that his character is getting uh this push and this development uh, and also, I like seeing Exxon just toss him around like he was nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Exxon has uh, Exxon now has fire powers because uh, yep, yeah, because he copied the powers of the uh, fire lady. 
Yeah. Has he copied the powers of uh, Metal Whip Lady yet? No. He has, I don't he, think he has. No, yeah. because the, cause the catch is, is that he needs to touch them in order to copy their powers. And he, yeah, he hasn't laid a hand on her yet. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I I really enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed the fight scene. Um, I enjoyed the character interactions, especially with Exxon and iGuy finally meeting up and Exxon just being so frustrated by iGuy's behavior and giving him a talking to. And then Exxon, like, again, and then that leading into iGuy's sort of redemption arc. Um, uh, and I like how Wraith is legitimately a um, kind of scary villain, not because Wraith seems all that physically powerful. Uh, but because Wraith makes you paranoid, because he, because Wraith seems to have like, seems to be able to see everything and know everything and be able to strike whenever they want to, um, and that kind of omnipresence makes them very scary. Yeah. Uh, uh, which which I really like. Um, I, I I like that sort of uh, threat from a villain. Um, it's 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 a different it's a different one than we tend to see because often it's just like oh this villain's powers are scary it's like you know this this villain's organization and knowledge is scary yeah uh anyway um yeah this is a great i give i give this episode a five yeah so do i this is a great episode All right, so uh, let's finally move on to Awari Monogatari, uh, Season 2, Part 3. Ogie Dark. Man, I I am conflicted about this episode because there are parts of this episode I really, really like. Um, and there are some specific parts of it that has some of the best dialogue I've seen in a Monogatari series. Um, but at the same time, it's also, it also feels like a classic Bakemonogatari, like, very first season pacing, where it's just, like, way too long for its own good. Uh, I'm specifically, I'm specifically thinking of the, uh, there are a couple parts, really, that are really drawn out. Um, one of them is when, uh, Kishot, Araragi, Gain, uh, is it, uh, Ononoki? Is that the doll's name? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Hajikuji all meet. Um, there's a lot of exposition there that is, it's, it's just a lot of dialogue. It's, it's a lot of dialogue. Um, a lot of which just does not need to be there. Um, and then you also have the scene with, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, the Phoenix sister, is it? Uh, Tsukigi. 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 Tsukigi and her conversation with, uh, um, with Ogi. Uh, which, like, is is a good conversation, but also kind of gets dragged out for longer than it needs to be. 
So honestly, you could probably cut about 20 or so minutes from this episode and it would not suffer at all. You would lose nothing of value. Uh, but the stuff that is there is extremely solid. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of uh, some of the dialogue that uh, Kiss Shot and uh, Araragi have together. Uh, the final five minutes with Araragi and Hanekawa and uh, Senjo Gahara all meeting up at the school. Also extremely good. Um, Shin- uh, Shinobu's final lines. Uh, which I should mention uh, when like during the early moments of uh, this part where we have a scene uh, showing adult kiss shot um, bullying Ononoki uh, and then afterward like at the meeting kind of like uh, holding uh, cradling like uh, Aragi in her arms like Aragi is like a, a pet to be protected <laughs> and cuddled uh was great kiss shot is very good um and i got a little bit ticked off when uh gain asked uh kiss shot like what is she looking looking for in all of this mess and kiss shot just says you know i want to be going i want to go back to being a young girl um i got i got a little pissed off <laughs> yeah i i, I <laughs> it was like oh yeah I, when i saw that bit, i was like Oh, Dust is not gonna like this, yeah. <laughs> and like it, and, and even that I'm conflicted about because um, I think ultimately, so the the reason why she says that is not because she is not because she specifically wants to be a young girl again. Um, like the reason she wants to do that, as it's revealed later, is because like she doesn't want to be the dreaded vampire kiss shot anymore she wants to have a long term fulfilling relationship with Araragi now she doesn't want to be a monster anymore um and you know and just the way the mechanics of this universe work in order to do that she has to lose her vampire powers and in this universe how powerful you are as a vampire like if you lose your power like you just get younger that's just how it works um so my quibble like my beef with that is is not with her desire and her character arc uh like what irritates me about that is just with how the mechanics of like vampire powers work in this universe and that losing them makes you into like a 10 year old again uh, that's specifically what I'm annoyed about. I think the actual character arc of Kishot is done extremely well. Um, and this episode is kind of the perfect capstone to it. Uh, especially the scene at the end where, like, there's this gorgeous shot of Kishot, like, in this ridiculously uh, big and fancy red dress uh like holding uh Aragi in her arms before like they um do the sort of like uh blood ritual again um and uh they have this bit of dialogue oh god um where Aragi says to her if you were to live through today I 
I will also uh, live through today. If you were to die tomorrow, I'd be fine with tomorrow being the last day of my life. And then Kishot responds with, if you were to die uh, today, then... Yeah, if you were to die the day after tomorrow, I shall live for three days' time and tell a tale about you to someone. Uh, I shall recite the story of my master with pride to a listening ear. Um, and it's and then like it goes back to a wide shot, and the scene ends with uh, her covering the two of them with her bat wings, and it's just very good. Um, it perfectly encapsulates not only what their relationship is, but sort of what like how like how Kishot like has a lot of love in her um, but it doesn't manifest itself in the same way as it does um, like with say Senjo Gahara like I mentioned this before but again this is this episode more than any other kind of very much hits on the fact that Aragi is in a polyamorous relationship and that the love he has with Sandra Gahara is a very different but still equally important kind of love than the love he has with Kishot. Uh, and I think that's maybe my favorite part of the episode. Um, <clears throat> right. But the heart of this episode was the, uh, was the confrontation between Aragi and Ogi. Oh, yeah. And I honestly didn't see the twist coming either. Like, I was actually shocked by it. But then when I when they did the explanation, it actually made some sense. I was like, yes. oh, okay. <clears throat> and, yeah, it, it, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, so, so it turns out that, uh, so it turns out that Ogi is actually a part of Aragi. Or is sort of, you know, a manifestation of his insecurities yeah which which is kind of interesting because like this this whole time i was kind of assuming assuming that like oh all of these characters have an apparition associated with them aragi's apparition is uh is kiss shot but actually like that's not true because kiss shot um is not really anyone's apparition kiss shot has an apparition in the form of her previous servant Aragi's apparition is himself yeah. and right and right and and so right and so the whole point of the the whole point of this uh, of this confrontation between Aragi and Ogi is basically him trying to address his own insecurities yeah, because like o Ogi is is meant to be the his self doubt and the person who tells him that like you know all this stuff you've done was a mistake everything you do is wrong um, and it, this it, it actually makes it, it ties actually shockingly well into having just seen the finale of Kizimonogatari. Um, because a big part of how Kizimonogatari ends is with Aragi questioning everything he's done and thinking, well, gosh, maybe every decision I've made up to this point has been the wrong decision. 
and then sort of just making the decision to just live with those consequences and say like, well, this has already happened. So like, I'll just go with it. Um, even if it's the wrong thing to do, I'll commit to it. Uh, which is kind of how Kizumonogatari ends. And so then like having just watched that, watching the finale of Owari Monogatari, it, it brings up that question again of Aragi going like, well, d- d- has anything I've actually done been the right thing to do? Um, and the answer to that question is neither yes nor no, really. Because Aragi himself represents the answer that yes, everything he's done was correct. Ogi represents the opinion that no, everything you've done was a mistake. And the real answer is for neither of them to win, but for both to coexist. And that you can you can make the wrong decision, and because of your actions, still make that decision be the right decision in the end. Uh, which again, like, plays very nicely with how Kishot and Aragi's relationship is. Uh, is finalized in this episode as well where a where an ostensibly like very very bad decision becomes the perfect decision in the end right yeah i mean whether a decision is right or wrong is ambig is uh, ambiguous yeah and yeah one thing i gotta say about this like this the series as a whole what actually really impresses me about it is how intricate the web of relationships between the characters is. I mean, yeah. you look at it, you look at it like, you know, all these characters, it's not just about, you know, all these, you know, all these girls with, you know, with apparitions revolving around this one guy. It's like, no, they all have, yeah, they all have relationships with all these other characters and each other and 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 and, yeah. and seeing how this whole web of relationship is is formed is actually yeah it's really impressive yeah and, and this is especially the case with like it's, it's why i really like that hanakawa came back at the end and that a lot of the final five minutes were hanakawa and araragi and uh, Sandra Gahara interacting because the show basically started out with that that relationship being a love triangle and it ends with Hanakawa like being her own person and having a very healthy relationship like with Sandra Gahara being like a very good friend to her and someone she can confide in when she doesn't want to drag Aragi into it um, and like that that feels like the case for a lot of these characters where it started out with the it started out with their plot lines kind of revolving around Aragi or at least seeming to um but ultimately he's just a catalyst for them becoming their own people um and then having their own lives outside of Aragi and forming relationships with the rest of the cast in ways that enrich them and the people they connect with the the only person I wish that that had happened to more was Kishot, uh, because she's still like 
she interacts with some of the other characters like occasionally. Um, I would have liked it if she did interact with the major cast members more, though, uh, rather than just like a few funny sequences in um, the first season of Owari Monogatari that she had with Kanbaru. Um, so that, that's sort of the only place where I feel there could have been some improvement in that regard. Mm-hmm. But specifically, I would have liked to see how she'd... Uh, I, specifically, I'd like to see her interactions with Senjo Gahara more. I, I wanted to... I was sort of wanting to see what that would be like. The the other um, woman? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, again, like, it, both Senjo Gahara and Kishot are going to to basically be staying with Araragi for the rest of his life. Uh, so I feel like not having a kiss shot and Senja Gahara form a, uh, form a solid relationship when that has been happening to most of the other characters was kind of a misstep. Um, but ultimately like, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you, Ben. That uh, other than that one quibble I have, um, that was that's definitely been one of the strengths of the show, and what has set it apart from a lot of other shows like this. Um, and that in the end, it doesn't actually revolve around Aragi at all. Um, and uh, there are and the the writing of those characters is kind of why is, is actually entirely why I stuck with Monogatari despite its many blatant failings. <laughs> okay, yeah, I could I could see where blatant would fall into some of those failings. Yeah. Yeah. Now does this um, end the series or not? Pretty much. So it it, it, it basically ends Araragi's arc. Like this is the this is the this is the end of Araragi's arc, and for all intents and purposes, it it is the final Monogatari. Uh, there are um, there are other novels that have been written that I can sort of see being adapted uh, that sort of fill in backstories and side stories and things like that. Like uh, uh, one of the most recent novels, for example, uh, fills in. Um, some of Kishot's backstory from even before she met her uh, uh, first servant, um, uh, which is pretty interesting and, and gives us some uh, even more vampire names, which are great. Let me see if I can actually uh, look it up. Give me one moment here to look it up on the Bakemonokatri wiki because it is a very good name. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, yeah, there is a, another pure, yeah, during the, uh, uh, in Wazamonogatari, there's an Acerola Bon Appetit, uh, arc where, um, she meets another pure blood vampire named Deathtopia Virtuoso Suicide Master, <laughs> which is an amazing name. <laughs> I love how... This show, I love how Monogatari does vampire names. It's perfect. Uh, uh, and then Suicide Master. Vampire Math- names are like that? Or is it just, these are vampire names? Well, of course they are. Yeah, 
I, I, and and Suicide Master's servant's name is Tropical esque Homo Wave Dog Strings, which <laughs> my God, <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, there there are other novels that have come out. It's just that uh, as far as the main Monogatari plotline is concerned, this is the end. Uh, Everything else is just like a side story or backstory. So I need to watch the three Kiss Shot movies and then I'll be caught up. Oh, oh, right, you haven't watched Kizu yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely need to watch Kizu. I, as I mentioned in the, my review with Ben, Kizu Monogatari is, uh, at, at points the best Kizu Mono, the best Monogatari has ever been, and also the worst Monogatari has ever been. <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah, it is definitely worth watching. And not just because I'm biased and think Kishot is the best anime character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's put Kishot up against Riku and see who wins. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. See, did I just hit a nerve? Hello, nerve. As a video game character and one as an anime character. So you're see, good. Oh, yeah. oh. Piffle. <laughs> see, here's the thing is that uh, Riku is kind of like the the character I would most want to be. Uh, Kiss Shot is the character I most want to be with. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That's how I reconcile that. Alright, so uh, we need to find you a blonde vampire. <laughs> Not yes. a problem. Well, how'd, uh, you like, anyway. how'd you like how that conversation took a turn? Uh, yeah, so I, I give this episode a five. Same here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, and I give Mo- and I give Owari Monogatari on on the whole. I I give it a five. Yes, I would too. I concur. I didn't has say a, much, has a I few concur. flaws, but uh, overall, its strengths vastly outweigh its weaknesses. It's it's called yeah. You know, it's called we've nitpicked enough anime. This one wasn't all that bad. Did I get that right? Yep. All right. So, uh, I guess we have listener questions. Yeah, most of them are in 339. Uh, yeah. There's one, actually, there's one really uh, very uh, very long but insightful comment uh, from uh, Fathomless Blue, I believe. Mm. Uh in 338. Did I already read that one, or is that one new? Uh, no, that's new. I'll... It's 11 days old. I think we've already read it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I read that one already. No, this, this one... No. Oh, wait, no, I didn't read that one. That was from six days ago. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 long, but it's really interesting. Okay, yeah, so I will, I will go ahead and read that. So... Uh, uh, Girls in Panzer is an interesting choice to mention considering that show epitomizes many of the issues of modern anime production. Don't get me wrong, I like that show a lot, but is it? But it is a series less about introducing genuine characters, story arcs, and themes than it, it than it promoting popular otaku tropes. In this case, cute girl archetypes and military hardware fetishes, fetishism. 
Fortunately, it had talented and passionate writers that were able to create something of value, similar to what happened with Kimono Friends. But that show was obvious from the very start about creating merchandise and marketing tie-ins. For every happy accident like Girls in Panzer, there are a bunch of failures like Military or Upote, which can't disguise their cynical roots of selling body pillows, etc. Which is a take on Girls in Panzer that I absolutely agree with. Um, and I've kind of always been on the, on the record of saying, I like the tank battles in Girls in Panzer, but the slice of life stuff is just the most generic slice of life stuff since that genre was created. <laughs> um, anyway, continuing on with Adam's Blue's comment, uh, the quote, decline of anime is something people have been espousing since the 1970s, so I tend to treat that claim with a pinch of salt. It's true that we're in the middle of a consumption bubble at the moment, something Shiro Bako clearly pointed out, but the general model of shows released hasn't altered greatly. Some popular franchises will emerge and a stream of clones inspired show and inspired shows will emerge. We had it in the late 80, 90s with Ava, yeah, then in the uh, early 00s with sci-fi light novels, then meta high school shows inspired by Haruhi, such as Kanagi, Lucky Star, etc., then the rise of little sister shows from Ori Emo, and currently the isekai genre from Sword Art Online. Saying that, although nostalgia tends to blind us, we are in a better position than 10 years ago when the previous consumption bubble burst. In terms of the overall minutes of te on television each week, we're still somehow behind the saturation point of 2005-6 due to the rise of half-length half and miniature web series designed for cell phone consumption during commutes. While the entire Western business isn't based on licensing speculation competition like it was back then, although fees have drastically risen again due to competition from Netflix, Amazon, etc. There are plenty of partial adaptations designed mainly to promote the original manga slash light novel slash game, etc., than unique stories, but unfortunately that's the safest way to stay in the green in terms of merchandise and Blu-ray Blu disc sales, rather than take a risk of an original story that doesn't sell, cough, flip-flappers. Even if the anime adaptation isn't a massive success, such as Chihaya Furu, the boost in manga sales might, at, might allow more to be made. As much as I'd love to go back to the heady days of 1998-2004 when the success of Ava allowed more original projects to be greenlit, clearly not enough were profitable to continue that pattern. Also, those shows were still ultimately nuggets of quality surrounded by forgettable mediocrity forgotten by time. I'm personally of the belief that there's roughly the same ratio of quality to crap that there's always been, possibly leaning more positively nowadays. It's just that the amount of shows and nature of streaming has made the good stuff feel more transitory and difficult to remain in fandom consciousness permanently. So yeah, I don't think the general model of producing anime has changed massively during the 15 years beyond the way people view it, just the trends and sheer volume. Funnily enough, main reason for the rise in production during the last two to three years is chiefly down to foreign capital from international streaming services, partially from your crunchy roles, Netflixes, and Amazons, but also largely due to Chinese investment. Production committees are now seeing an influx of money, but rather than using it to create one or two high-budget, original, and ambitious series, tend to create several cheaply made safe bets, such as what you're complaining about. It's a pretty unpleasant situation, but rather than being seen as the death of anime, there's a lot of, there's a lot of insider speculation that it will lead to significant industry change. For a start, there's been growing resentment and vocal anger toward the way anime produced by committee systems are being run, both in the fact that the money doesn't trickle down to the actual animators, or that there just isn't enough talent to successfully complete projects. That's a big reason why we're seeing big gaps between continuations of long-running shows, Titan, Blood Blockade, One Punch Man, Mob Psycho, as it's becoming increasingly difficult to get talented staff back together. 
Industry insiders have been forecasting a shift away from the system in the next few years, so it'll be interesting to see what they can come up with. Another change is that more ambitious projects are getting picked as cinema release movies slash OVA episodes so they can avoid piracy, TV regulations, committee demands, or the decline that naturally occurs with meeting deadlines. In terms of adaptations, we've seen this with Yamato, Persona 3, Kizumonogatari, and Gundam, with upcoming franchises like Fate Stay Night, Heaven's Feel, or Pluto on the way. While original titles are also appearing with more frequency, Lou, Over the Wall, Fireworks, etc. These features tend to get... Uh, tend to get a lot of international exposure and hype abroad, regularly featuring in the film festival circuit, which is great for exposure and changing the perception of anime from classroom settings and, and teenager power fantasies. Some Kickstarter projects like Under the Dog have also been explicitly stated as being an attempt to fight against the production committee model. Finally, we have Netflix itself slowly moving away from licensing anime in favor of producing their own, something that they can throw more time and re resources towards than the standard TV anime. We've just seen the release of Castlevania come out over 10 years of production, which uh, in our most recent episode we very much praise. Uh, while Masaki, Yusa, uh, sorry, Masaki Yuasa is releasing his own version of Devilman, a Bones original called AICO Incarnation is in production, and LaShawn Thomas's, uh, uh, LaShawn Thomas's finally has managed to get Cannon Busters funded. Wait, is that, is that like a sequel to Die Buster and Gun Buster? No. It's completely original. Okay, as all right. Uh, to name a few over the next twelve months. Ultimately, even without all that to look forward to, I think I personally think the last five to six, year, five to six years have been better in terms of quality uh, series being released than the fifteen years before it. Possibly even earlier if you take away the big hitters like Ava, Utena, and Bebop. Sure, there's a mountain, a mountain load of crap to wade through, but I can usually be confident of having two to three great shows per season as opposed to yearly. Heck, you can see the difference compared to the first several seasons of BakaCast reviews. Naturally, age makes us more, all more cynical and less patience for nonsense, but aside from the volume and the inside baseball drama of modern production, I still think we're in a good place right now in terms of fandom. I guess it largely depends whether the current trends resonate or not. Um... Yeah, I like. I can't really disagree with anything in there. Um, uh, just, uh, the the go ahead. The sort of the. I'll just quickly say, like, the only quibble I would have is that um, maybe I'm maybe I'm forgetting, but I don't believe I uh, I ever like tried to imply that oh, anime was so much better and higher quality back in the day. Um, because I've always felt like that was a bullshit argument. <laughs> well, excuse me. Uh, He's responding to a long-running conversation in that thread that he and I had had. Oh, okay. All right. So I was the one who who poked that, poked all that. Okay. All yeah, right. Yeah. Read, yeah. So. Read, read the short comment above the long comment, and it okay. Was yeah. Yeah, I do see that. Um, okay. So yeah, I'd say that I don't really disagree with any anything in there. Um, and I do think that, uh, much like with video games, um, having a lot more ways to get around the traditional publishing model, you're seeing more options that are genuinely created with a passion from the artists that are creating them. Um, and hopefully we'll see that happen more and more with uh, with indie anime, much like 
uh, the same thing has happened with the indie gaming scene that has like exploded over the past five years. Um, because I I do definitely agree that we're now in a better position than ever to have more anime that are less reliant on the typical like sort of safe bet model that a lot of places feel like they need to go with um because yeah with with a lot of these things i like it's it's just so very clearly made with like oh let's just cash in on this nonsense um and it may be and and maybe i complained about it more often uh if if you are to criticize the way I talk about modern anime, like I think you could probably make a decent argument that I uh, criticize um, sort of uh, modern uh, uh, modern cash and attempts more harshly, but I think that's mostly just because um, the cash and attempts they're doing uh, strike a particular type of genre that I just kind of dislike a lot more than previous decades cash and attempts, like. This whole little sister and isekai genres just personally feel grosser to me than the cash and attempts off like Ava and other uh, uh, previous decades hot new thing. Well, like I said, yeah. We, we, anyway, we were having a ahead, conversation, Larry. and, and uh, he posted that, and then he posted a little comment underneath that. It's like, holy yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and. That's one thing. I mean, I have a tendency to get long-winded too, and I've, I think I've kept yeah. pretty much under control during the podcast. But yeah, it's, I, I, we had a conversation going back and forth, so I thought I would put up some trigger trips just to see what he would respond to. And yeah, we got War and Peace. <laughs> no, I, I, I like that. I, I like when our uh, commenters respond with like really detailed and, and insightful comments like that. Yep. Um, yeah, that was because uh... because I do like hearing what they have to say because because uh, uh, I again like I'm mostly coming from a like English major perspective. I don't know a lot about the anime industry and how it works and sort of like what's going on and recent developments in there. Like I I follow the industry in much the way that you know, someone who's into, like, specific authors would. <laughs> and, and I'm from the school, the dumb question is the one that's not asked, and so some of the questions yeah. that I ask in the threads may seem rather dumb, but they're asked to go, okay, so what do you think of this? Do you have anything you'd like to add, Ben? No, I thought that analysis was spot on. I mean, yeah, I, yeah I've always... Yeah, I've always been uh, uh, that of the uh, opinion that yes, Sturgeon Law, Sturgeon Law is unavoidable, in which yeah, you know, the majority of everything is gonna suck. Yeah, B- believe me, like I, I get irritated every time I hear someone say, "Oh, music was so much better back in the day." All, all the classics, it's like well, depends on what kind of music. <laughs> That's like, man, there were, there were plenty of garbage Beatles imitators back when the Beatles came out. Well, I go back, I go back even further, you know, to uh, my one of my favorite genres, the uh, jazz of the '30s and '40s. And uh, yeah, there's some of that stuff that was great and has not, cannot, has not ever been, and probably will never be imitated. And then there was some of it that was. Yeah, yeah I, I, I yeah. 
Yeah, my musical coming of age was the 80s, so... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's like... Yeah, you I mean, you remember, like, the one hit... The one hit wonders? You saw, like, you remember the one hit that all these bands had, but, like... Yeah, all their other reasons they were one hit often. <laughs> yeah. Well, a house until the mid-60s that basically was playing big banded jazz... And then this invasion. See, we skipped over Elvis. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, the Beatles were, were taken with a stern look. And then the Rolling Stones were even sterner. And then some other groups were uh, pretty much banned from being listened to for a while. Yeah, my dad's like, my dad was like that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's like, yeah. Uh, uh, growling am and fm so yeah anyway moving along all right so uh let's talk about uh this question um from mark the one uh which is what is your top five anime habits uh, i think this is less habits and and more like so rank these tropes from i actually like this to this is bad <laughs> Um, or, or uh, basically, ra- basically ranking common anime tropes. Um, some of this is some of these tropes are hard to decipher. To be honest, like I think one of them is clearly like we win. Be- so we win because mob mentality is clearly like I feel like it's clearly supposed to be uh, winning through the power of friendship. Hmm. Um, that can be done well, here. or it can be done poorly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are some. There are some uh, anime where it does not work for me at all, and I go like, "Really, power of friendship?" And see, then there are other oh, anime where I see a power power of friendship victory. And I'm like, "This is the most precious thing." <laughs> see, <laughs> so. I I don't like. I can't think of a single one that's like, "Yes, this is better than the alternative," as far as an alternative solution to power of friendship. Uh, I, th- I think it very greatly depends on how the anime has sort of developed its characters and developed its relationships um, where I can actually believe that the power of friendship would help them win. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I absolutely know that there has been an anime or two where that has worked for me. My point I stands. I just can't remember. Like, on, like I, can't, I can't immediately remember... The only one I can immediately remember where it didn't work for me either was um, Sword Art Online, where like uh, the first in the first season, the ending where Kirito wins the power of like loving Asuna so hard that he just magically breaks the game. <laughs> yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Here... But like, I that's just because I have a bad memory, not because that like there have never been any good instances. Because like, because I know there's been at least a couple that I've really enjoyed. Okay. Well. All right. So an example, a possible example, uh, Little Witch Academia. Uh, okay. Yeah. There we go. That's one. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. But you, what you have is, you know. Like, you have, like, all of Ago's friends supporting her, you know, and getting her, you know, and getting her to the place where she needs to be. I well, mean, to be fair, Little Witch Academia kind of runs off that trope. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's why it works for me. 
Yes, it works because it's not just pulled out of nowhere. It's actually, you know, it, it, it actually, you know, it actually make it is, you know, it's actually put into context and the characters are developed and, you know, so it's actually, yeah, it's, also, it's executed properly. You, uh, you, uh, you could also make an argument and by you, I mean, I could also make an argument that Gurren Lagan also, that is, uh, that ending, uh, they are victorious because of the power of friendship. Uh, granted, it's a it's a more masculine version of the power of friendship than in Little Witch Academia, just because um, Gurren Lagann has a much more masculine tone in it. Uh, but well, yeah, it's still but very again, much a power of friendship victory. <laughs> again, it runs off of that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, like, the only way to do it properly is to actually have it be a. a uh, a staple in the the theme. Yes, yes. In other words, in order for it to work, it actually has to. It actually has to like organically. Well, yes, Aaron. Typically, typic- yes, it has to organically fit into the structure of the show. Yes, Aaron. The point I am making is that your climax should tie in with the general central theme of your show. <laughs> that is correct. You got me there, Aaron. I win. <laughs> <laughs> a climax should support the themes of the show. Wow. Uh, oh yeah, there's another one here that is uh, okay. Uh, the way he writes it is: "This is the ninth time you fell on my chest. It's on purpose, or God hates you." I assume that's referring to the anime trope of "Whoops, I fell on you and touched your boobs." Uh, that could never happen again, and I'd be happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's uh, th- that one and the oh my god he saw me in my underwear or he saw my panties. Saw uh, my pants. Who's I'll never get married. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. To love, yeah. to love through darkness actually makes fun of that. It, it like it just like run it runs with that trope. Yeah, just like in a very self-aware way, which was oh my yeah because it's basically softcore porn. Yes. Yeah. Or hentai. No, I barely remember. Oh, that's what. Oh, right, that's to love Rue. Yeah, I, I forgot that show existed. <laughs> no, it, it's there, very there's briefly. Sometimes that some of the things we've watched, it's best to forget they ever existed. Yeah, like right. So it it actually it actually has it, so like in a later chat in it like in a chapter of uh, the manga, there's this bit where this bit where like. They actually scientifically test, you know, like the main character's tendency to, like, you know, ha- you know, have his hand like fall on people's boobs, and you know, it, they actually find out. Yes, this is actually a real. This is actually, you know, part of the nature of the world. This is actually like a something like a superpower that this guy has. <laughs> it's <laughs> so. That was very amusing, but like, yeah, the rest of the show was the rest of the series was dumb harem nonsense with with lots of boobs. Well, of course. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, let's see here. Um. Uh, let's see here. 
Oh yeah, so um, there's some other questions that Mark the One has. I'm gonna sort of cherry pick the ones that uh, we haven't done before that are interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, are you are you up to date with T uh, Team Four Star? Uh, yes. Um, the only thing I'm watching of theirs is Dragon Ball Abridged. Um, just because I kind of don't care about Helsing, and I kind of feel like the jokes in Helsing Abridged are a little weaker, and uh, tend to rely more on the older humor of D Dragon Ball Z Abridged that I didn't really care for. Um, but yeah, I still really like that series. I don't really watch other Abridged series, and I don't think we'd probably review them either. Because uh, again, they're largely comedy shows, and I I don't know how to review I don't know how to review comedy shows. I just don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, hey guys, uh, you know what was funny in the episode? Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the entirety of, of how I know how to talk about comedy shows. Is like, hey, Aaron, this is pretty funny, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you then, try uh, if, next... you, if you try and talk about why something is funny, you kind of kill the yeah. point. You kind of miss the point. <laughs> uh, then let's see do you hate game theory because personally I have to know I don't hate the game theory YouTube video uh, channel I just think it's kind of ridiculous which uh, one is that it's it's a YouTube channel w where so you, you know the people who like when you mention Final Fantasy 8 they're like hey did you hear the theory that uh, in disc one, after disc one, everything is actually just all in Squall's head. Oh, so it's basically video game conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's that, but just like in YouTube video form for all video games and played and played seriously. Huh. That is that is how I view the video game theory channel. <laughs> I, I feel uh, like that could be amusing if you were just gonna like watch it and laugh at it. Yeah, like, uh, I don't hate it, but there's no way in a million years that I would ever intentionally watch it uh, on my own, because I would find it insufferable. <laughs> um, because I, at least with a lot a lot of theories like that, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before on one of my other podcasts, maybe Games Witticism, but my issue with theories like that is that, okay, I mean, sure, maybe, but what does that do for the story, actually? Because, like, it's sort of using that FF8 theory as an example, it's like, okay, yeah, you could make an argument that after disc one, everything is all in Squall's head. But, like, what does that do for the story of Final Fantasy VIII? Like, it, it does absolutely nothing. It, it doesn't play into any of the core themes at all. And, in fact, actually kind of makes the story actively worse. So, as a, as a just out of context as a, th as a theory yes it's interesting but when taken as a whole in terms of like what it makes the story into it's kind of garbage and I hate it uh, <laughs> and I feel like that's a lot of what those like what if they were secretly dead the whole time sort of theories like that that is often my reaction to them where I'm like okay but so what what does that do um, that's that's my Game theory hot takes. You're welcome. Finally, uh, I'm not going to read the fan fiction part. I'm sorry, Mark. 
uh, even Wait, though what? you said I must read it. What, what does it say? Oh, you read it you for yourself. You can read it yourself if Please. you really want to know. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah. Go to the website. I know I know you know how to use an internet browser. Sometimes he does. No, no. Uh, but yeah, so Mark says, uh, you guys should try getting some Bitcoin or Litecoin or other because of its value and there's a recession coming, so get ready. Okay. I will never, <laughs> I will never buy Bitcoin. Okay. Because Bitcoin is for chumps. <laughs> yeah, that... Okay. Bitcoin is not actually a stable currency. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes. Mark, I'm sorry, but uh, the economics of that makes no friggin' sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no matter, no matter what Reddit users try to tell you, Bitcoin is not a stable currency. <laughs> like, the... Like, it, it, it sounds... It sounds paradoxical considering everything that's been going on with the U.S. economy, but the dollar still remains one of the most stable currencies. Yep. Like, it just is. Because basically all foreign trade involves the dollar in some form. I, I look at it this way. When Warren Buffett turns his billions into bitcoins, I might believe there's a prospect. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so no bitcoin. N no dogecoin either. Sorry. Sir, I think as I have... funny as as funny as Dogecoin is. Do you think we're done? Yeah, I think we're good. Uh, Ben, Dustin, wait, I'm skipping. I'm skipping our outro. Yeah. That's, well, <laughs> I should probably not skip the outro. Uh, you can you can send us questions or comments um, to uh, to us at www.projecthari.net or www.audioentropy.com. Uh, if you're worried that, oh no, what I have to say is too long, I just read Fathomless Blue's entire comment on air. I don't care. Yeah, and if you it's don't fine. want to post it, emails are good. We can read emails. And if there's parts of it that I don't think are worth reading, I just won't read it and there's, on air. And the <laughs> email is bakacast at projectharahe.net. Yes. So, All right. Ben and Dustin. Now we can go. It. Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kiribush. Shinobu. We got to find it. Anybody knows a Shinobu that we can set up with Dusty? Send me an email. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>